Let's bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We thank you for the feast. We pray that we would um, seek you above all, that we would strive to please you in all our ways. Father, we pray that you would help us to endeavor to be better disciples and better servants of yours. And we thank you for those here, for those you have called out to this feast. We pray that this feast would be a blessing to everybody here. We also pray for those who could not make it. And we pray for those worshiping elsewhere. And we thank you again for all the blessings you've bestowed upon us. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a blessing to see everybody here this feast. And it's great. You know, not only are we uh, full in here, but we're fairly full in our uh, fellowship hall, just adjacent to this room. So uh, what a... What a blessing it is. Well, today I want to talk about the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. You know, I believe that this feast foreshadows this time, foreshadows the uh, millennial kingdom, this time that we know that Yahshua will reign and rule over the entire world. It's going to be a great time. He's going to do this also with those who will be found worthy in the first resurrection. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're here. That's why we strive so hard to please him. You know, I can assure you that nothing that we have ever, ever seen or experienced will compare to what we'll see and experience in the kingdom to come. You know, the chaos that is so prevalent today, and certainly in the past year, it's been a very chaotic year, continues to be in many ways, but we're not going to see that in the kingdom. These things will be a thing of the past. We're not going to see the, the chaos and the anarchy that we see. Nations will no longer engage in war and Yahweh's um, commandments, his word, his, his law will go out to all the world, as we'll see today through the word. You know, can you imagine a time where Yahweh's law is over this world, where Yahweh's law is, is governing this world, where Yahweh's commandments is indeed the law of the land? You know, I want to begin today with Revelation 20, verse 6. It's a very important passage. And... There in Revelation 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death will have no power. So that's one promise we know we have within the word. Those who are found worthy of the first resurrection, it says here that the second death will have no power. In other words, we're going to be exempt from this resurrection. We're going to be found worthy and exempt again from this resurrection. goes on to say, But they shall be priests of Elohim and of Messiah, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, if there's any one goal that we as believers seek after, it should be the goal that we find here, the goal of Yahweh's kingdom, the goal to reign and rule with the Messiah. You know, this is a first, and I would also add the greatest of all the resurrections we find within the world. There's two resurrections, and this is the greatest of those resurrections. You know, this is the same resurrection that Paul speaks about when, in the Word when he says that we're going to be changed from corruption to incorruption. When we're going to be changed from mortal to immortal. You know, Yahshua prophesied that those in this resurrection would rule with him for 1,000 years. Can you imagine ruling, reigning with the Messiah for 1,000 years in the kingdom? Being a spirit being. Being a being that is incorruptible. Being a being that is immortal. Being a being that will never die. Where this is what we're looking for. This is why we're here. This is what we're striving to achieve. This is why we do what we do. 
to achieve this great promise ahead, to achieve the promise of Yahweh's kingdom, to achieve the promise of everlasting life, to achieve the promise that we're going to receive when Yahshua returns. Yahshua prophesied again that we're going to reign and rule with him for 1,000 years. The word millennium, by the way, you'll hear me use this word, is Latin means 1,000 years. Now, for a moment, just try to imagine what it's going to be like to rule with Yahshua for 1,000 years. You know, all the trials and tribulations we have now will be no more. Consider that, all the all the uh, trials that we suffer with, all the sickness and disease that we have now will be no more. And I know some of you suffer from serious illness, from pain, or that pain won't exist in the kingdom. And, you know, for me, I've seen a lot of believers suffer in my position. Folks die from cancer and other sicknesses. And it's such a great thing to realize that in the kingdom that will not exist. You know, the violence that we see now will be no more. And, again, it's been kind of a crazy year with the violence and anarchy. But not so in Yahweh's kingdom. You know, in Yahweh's kingdom, the Messiah is going to rule, and we're going to rule with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a greater promise. I can't think of a greater thought than the concept of us ruling and reigning with the Messiah for 1,000 years in the kingdom. It just really blows your mind when you think about it. You know, this is a goal that awaits those who fully commit. And I want to emphasize this. You know, I, I talk about this in baptismal counseling quite a bit. You know, but this concept of fully committing to Yahweh. It's not a part-time position. It's not a part-time job. It's not something we can dabble in. It's not something we can do partially. We must go fully into the word. And if we're not willing to go fully, we're not going to be found worthy. It's really that simple. We must obey Yahweh and do it his way, and we must do it fully if we're going to be found worthy of his kingdom. And this is why it's so important that we as his people live a life worthy of his calling now. You know, we must strive to do his word now, to live a life worthy of that truth now. You know, I know that we all want this promise, but understand that to receive this promise, we must again walk in a certain way. We must walk deliberately, willingly, willfully, within the truth and word of Yahweh, without compromise, without deviation, without going to the right or to the left, without not pursuing the truth we know to be true. You know, as the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. If we want to be part of the few, then we must completely devote our lives now to the one we worship. And, and that is a very, very hard thing to do. And I know it's very easy to say that we need to devote our lives fully to Yahweh, but do we really comprehend? I don't know if anybody really comprehends that concept, but we must fully nonetheless devote our lives to Yahweh if we're going to be blessed by him. You know, living for Yahweh in this day and age is not easy, but as his people, we must never give up. We must never relinquish the faith. We must never uh, stop believing. We must pursue and we must continue on no matter what challenges we face in this life. Because believe me, no matter what we face in this life, it's, it's just uh, minuscule. It's inconsequential to the promise that we're going to receive in the kingdom. You know, as we see here, this time will be like no other. Again, our Savior will, will govern this world. For 1,000 years, of course, then we know that Yahweh will, ever, will uh, come with his holy city, New Jerusalem. But we all have an opportunity to be part of this grand plan, to be part of this plan, this plan of Yahweh's kingdom, this plan of helping our Savior when he reigns and rules over this earth. Now, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, we find one of the greatest messianic descriptions of Yahshua during this time. Isaiah 11, 1 through 4 says, And there shall... Come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his, his roots. Now, as we know, this is referring to Yahshua the Messiah in the millennium. It says, And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, the fear of Yahweh. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of Yahweh, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So what are some of the prophetic promises we find here? We see here that our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah, he's going to have Yahweh's spirit indwelling within him, directing him, guiding him. You know, if you think about it, there's nothing we can really do without Yahweh's spirit. That's why baptism and and, uh, the laying of hands is such an important concept, because that is where we receive the spirit of Almighty Yahweh. It is such an important truth. You know, we need his Ruach dwelling within us if we're going to succeed as believers, if we're going to really live up to his word. We also see here that Yahshua is going to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So what's the difference between these two? What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? Well, the word wisdom comes from the Hebrew kagma and means to have a good sense or discretion, a good sense or discretion based on the Hebrew the word understanding comes from the Hebrew benad, refers to knowledge. So we see here that understanding is knowledge, is knowledge, and wisdom is then being able to rightly apply that knowledge. Do you understand the difference, knowledge and wisdom? One is, again, knowledge, understanding, and the other is, again, being able to rightly apply what we understand. Now, this is why I believe we should pray for both wisdom and knowledge, not just knowledge within the word, but wisdom to rightly discern the word, as we find Yahshua is going to have in the kingdom. You know, without wisdom, knowledge is of little value. You know, we also see here that our Savior, he's going to have the spirit of says of counsel and might. What is this? Well, the word counsel comes from the Hebrew etzad, refers to giving advice or guidance. He's going to give guidance to those during this time. And the word might comes from the Hebrew gibberod, refers to victory or valor. He's in a He's going to be strong, as we're going to see, as we see here in the word. You know, we find that Yahshua, through his wisdom, will give sound counsel or guidance to those who seek him. You know, can you imagine for just a moment, can you imagine for just a moment having the opportunity to go to our Savior and ask him for his advice, to seek his guidance from him directly? What a wonderful thing that's going to be in the kingdom. No longer we're going to have to rely on man. No, we're going to go directly to our Savior and we're going to ask. You know, says he's going to give us Counsel is going to give us guidance based on his word. And we also, again, see here the word might. And this, again, is referring to spirit or, or uh, the, the uh, spirit of valor, victory. Now, Scripture says that he's in a rule with a rod of iron. You know, we know that. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that Yahshua is coming back not to please man. You know, we see that throughout the word. He's not coming to please man. Instead, he's coming to restore Yahweh's truth. He's coming to restore the word. You know, no matter what the obstacles, we know that in the end he will succeed. And there will be obstacles during this time. We'll see that as we go through this message. Not everything's going to be perfect in the millennium. There's going to be things to work through, and that's part of what we're going to be doing, hopefully. You know, we see here that he will have all the required tools through Yahweh's Spirit to rightly govern, to rightly restore the truth to this world. And that's really, by the way, a main concept of the millennium. This is a very important concept to understand. That this time is a time of restoration. It is a time to set things right. It is a time to restore what was lost. You know, we also see here, it says that he's in a delight in the fear of Yahweh. You know, Solomon wrote that the fear of Yahweh was both the beginning of knowledge 
and also the beginning of wisdom. You know, I'm a big believer in the fear of Yahweh. I don't think we talk enough about the fear of Yahweh in this nation. You know, in this nation, we've lost all fear for our creator, and we can certainly see the result of that culturally in our nation. You know, we wouldn't see the atrocities we see today if people had the fear of Yahweh, but they don't have the fear of Yahweh. There's no fear for our creator. There's no fear for our maker. You know, the many riots and violence that we've seen this year, evidence of this. If people really feared their creator, they would not go out and commit these atrocities that they've committed throughout this last year. You know, people no longer know what is morally right and wrong, and much of that, I believe, is because we've lost that fear for the one we worship in this nation. You know, our founders, I believe, feared their maker. The people years ago, decades ago, they feared their maker. Or people, they don't fear Yahweh anymore. And again, I think we can see the result of that in our culture. You know, as we find from the Apostle Paul, we are to work out our own salvation, he says, in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Now, the fear that Paul spoke about was more than a respect. Some people, they claim that just, you know, we just need to respect. No, we need to be afraid. You know, as his people, we need to understand that there's a season, there's a time to fear our creator. And the people of this nation, they need to fear their creator right now. Because I do believe that judgment may be passing upon this nation. And we need to fear the one who stands above all others. We need to fear our creator. You know, without the fear of Yahweh, we lose all moral constraint, all moral restraint. And I think that's what we've seen today. We've lost moral restraint. And you can see this in so many ways. You know, moving on here, we find a description of how Yahshua is going to judge this earth, of how Yahshua is going to judge this world. He will judge mankind. It says not after what he sees, not after what he hears. He's going to judge, it says, with righteousness. He's going to judge with equity. Now, I think we understand righteousness here, but what about equity? What does it mean? It comes from the Hebrew, Mishor, and means a level, a plane, or straightness. Basically, what it means is to do so without bias. So we find that Yahshua is going to judge based on righteousness, based on Yahweh's word, and he's going to do so without bias, without favoritism. So we find that in the millennium, that judgment will be based solely on Yahweh's word. What this means is the judgment will no longer be based on private interpretation, personal opinion, or worse yet, corrupt, bribes and corruption. In fact, as we see in Micah chapter 4, I want to share this with you, Micah 4, 1 through 3. We see here that in the millennium, that Yahweh's word will again go out to all the world. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted, it says, above the hills. And people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the Elohim of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of Yahweh says from Jerusalem. And he, Yahshua, is going to judge, it says, among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into printing hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. So Micah prophesies here that Yahweh's mountain, Yahweh's mountain will be above all other mountains in the millennium. So what does this mean? Or the word mountain refers to government or to kingdom. What Micah is prophesying here is that Yahweh's kingdom, his government, is going to be all over all other governments during this time We also see here that many nations will come. Now, this is an amazing thing if you think about it. 
It says many nations will come to seek Yahweh during this time. They're going to come to Zion. They're going to come to the Holy Land to seek Yahweh's word, to seek his guidance, to seek his knowledge, to seek his wisdom. The law will go forth from Zion. They're going to seek that law. You know, this is going to be, again, a great time of restoration, a time in which this world will finally be governed by Yahweh's truth, by Yahweh's word. None of this nonsense that we see. You know, consider how different this world will be when Yahweh's commandments are the law of the land. When Yahweh is the one ruling through his son over this world, mankind will comply. You know, as we've seen throughout this last year, there's been civil unrest and violence. And also sins like homosexuality and abortion. These things won't exist in the kingdom. Yahweh will not allow these things through his son. You know, this is why it's crucial that as believers, we do our very best now to walk in our Savior's footsteps. Live as he lived. Do as he did. You know, we find another parallel that we saw in the uh, book of Isaiah here. During this time... It says that Yahshua is going to judge between peoples and nations. You see, Yahshua is going to be the judge during this time. He's going to discern, and he's going to set things right. He's going to do so, as we saw, with righteousness and equity. You know, we're not going to see nations of this world engaging in war and chaos, as we see again today. In this world, we have a very long history of violence, of war. Even in the modern age, have we seen Much, much warfare. Too much. You know, to drive this point home, I want to share just a few numbers with you. So here's a uh, chart. Wars ranked by U.S. combat deaths. And I'm not going to go through all of this, but World War II, 291,000 deaths. And these are combats or soldiers, the military. American Civil War, 214,000 World War I, 53,000. Vietnam, 47,000. Korean, 33,000. All these deaths. And again, there were many, many more deaths than what we have here on the slide. We're not going to see this in the kingdom. Here's another slide. Casualties of World War II. Some 75 million people died in World War II, including 20 million military personnel and 40 million civilians many of whom died because of deliberate genocide, massacres, mass bombings, disease, and starvation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that number of deaths? 75 million people died during this horrific time. Or again, in the millennium, we're not going to see this. We're not going to see wars. We're not going to see murder. We're not going to see violence as we do today. Yahshua's going to rule and reign, and he's going to ensure that these things are not happening throughout this world He's going to ensure that nations are doing as they should based on the word. Now we see in Zechariah verse 3 that when Yahshua returns, he's going to restore peace. He's going to restore peace to this earth. Zechariah 8, 3 through 5 says, Thus saith Yahweh, I am returned unto Zion. Zion is the city of David. The city of David is Jerusalem. And will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. City of truth. Now, we just read in Micah that Yahweh's law will go forth from that place. And the mountain of Yahweh, or the kingdom or government of Yahweh, of hosts, the holy mountain, thus saith Yahweh of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women 
Dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with a staff in his hand for a very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. You know, we see here the peace that our Savior is going to usher in during the millennium. It says here that Yahweh will return and that he's going to dwell in the middle of Zion. That he's going to dwell in the middle of the city of David, Jerusalem. The city that he calls his own. We know this will be fulfilled through his son, Yahshua the Messiah. And when this happens, it says here that this city will be called the city of truth. Now, why do you suppose it's going to be called the city of truth? Or as again we saw in Micah 4. We see there that Yahweh's law, that his truth, that his Torah, that his word will go forth from the city of David, from Zion, from Jerusalem. That it will be from this place, from where Yahweh's word goes forth from to all the world. It will be the capital. It will be the epicenter of all the truth. It will be called literally the city of truth during this time because it will be from this place where truth will, will proceed. Notice also here that along with truth, we'll see peace and safety. It says here that the streets uh, will be full of boys and girls playing. You know, it's a great thing, by the way, to see that during this feast. It's, uh, you know, we're gaining more and more kids and more and more teens. I don't know about the teens, but it's nice to see the kids anyway. You know, it's good to see the teens too. It, it really is a blessing to see the children. You know, because they're the next generation. They are who will replace us. And I think we have some great, great youth, great teens, and great children here at this ministry. And, and it's nice to see them play and, and have a good time. And, and this is what we're going to see in the kingdom, but on a much, much larger scale, much larger scale worldwide, but certainly here in the uh, city of uh, David as we find within the truth. You know, again, though, during this past year, we've seen anarchists, rioters, looters, in every act of defiance you can imagine. You know, I can assure you that this level of violence will not exist in the kingdom. Again, Yahshua is going to ensure that these things are not happening. Now, in Isaiah 65, 19, we find another promise of the kingdom. It says, there, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem. So notice just the emphasis we find on Jerusalem. It is a very, very special place. In fact, when I've gone to Jerusalem, I've been able to go twice in my life, and both times, about two weeks one of my favorite things is to go to the old city, Jerusalem, and just sit on the wall and, and, and watch. Because you see, it's like going back in time in many ways. Not a whole lot have cha- has changed. Even the old city itself, you see the old rocks and the old stones. Yahweh has always loved Jerusalem. And it's just a phenomenal place. It's a spirit there that you really, I haven't felt anywhere else. But it says during this time in the millennium that this place, it says, will joy in my people and the voice of weeping shall be heard no more in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more fence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being accursed, uh, being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So again, we find here during this time that Yahweh is going to have joy within this city and that also he's going to remove Weeping, he's going to remove the voice of crying. There's going to be a great, great time. This is going to be a prelude to what we're going to find and see in New Jerusalem. Now, we also see here that it says that the old man and the infant will both die at 100 years old and that the sinner will be accursed, but again, die at 100 years old. 
So besides finding that man's lifespan will increase, we also find that sin will remain to a certain extent in the kingdom. It will remain. You know, some people have asked, how is this possible? How is, how is it possible to have sin in the millennium? I've, I've had people come to me and, and uh, very much refute this uh, adamantly. You know, this, this possibly cannot be true. Or, you know, it's important to realize that in addition to those in the first resurrection, that there's going to be many, many people who will survive the tribulation. And they will find themselves in the millennium. They will find themselves in the millennium with the saints and with Yahshua. And at this time, they will have a choice, just as we do now. They will have a choice to either follow Yahweh and be blessed through his son, or they will have a choice not to follow him and die accursed. But they will have a choice. But there's going to be many, many people living on to through the millennium or through the great tribulation into the millennium. Some people say a third of the earth. Some people say 10% will remain. I don't know what that number is. Many will die, but many will survive. And they, again, will find themselves during this time, during this, this great, great time. And at that point, they're going to have an opportunity to choose. And that's why it's important that we choose now, by the way, that we choose now because we know from the word that Yahweh is judging his saints right now. You know, Scripture says we all must appear before the judgment seat. That's what it says. We must all appear before the judgment seat. And I believe those saints, those in the first resurrection, the called and chosen, they are being judged right this moment. And that's why it's so important that we live a life that is worthy of his calling. You know, we know that after the millennium and after the great white throne judgment, that Yahweh himself will come with his city, with holy with his holy city, New Jerusalem. You know, Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, there in this passage, he says that before the Father can, rec- uh, can, can come, he says that all enemies must be subdued, all enemies must be overcome, and, and that includes death and all of sin. You see, the Father can't come until Yahshua does his job, and that is to remove all sin and to restore the truth, to restore this to righteousness, to this, to this wicked and corrupt world. You know, I believe that this is a main purpose for the millennium, to prepare this time for Yahweh. You see, there's a great plan right now, and we're part of that plan. And I just really want to emphasize that today, that, that we are part of that plan. You know, those who understand the truth, those who are living the truth, those who are following Yahweh, making, making Yahweh the, the priority, focusing on Him, making sure that their lives are in compliance to His Word, that this is an amazing time. But it's all according to Yahweh's plan, and inevitably the plan leads to Yahweh coming with His holy city. But again, before that happens, Yahshua must remove the sin, remove all enemies, remove death. Remove it all, and this earth must be pristine, and then the Father will return. And this is precisely what Yahshua is going to do during this time. Now, as we see in Isaiah 11, verse 6, we also know that there's going to be other major changes. Isaiah 11, 6 says, A wolf also shall dwell with a lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. 
And the cow and the bear feed together. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. You know, we see here that the very nature of animals will change in the millennium. Isn't that a, an amazing thing? That the animals will change during this time? You know, can you imagine seeing a wolf and lamb lie together in harmony and peace? Or how about a goat with a leopard? Can you imagine a young uh, or a cow and a, a bear feeding together? Or what about a child playing with a snake and not being bit? You know, in the millennium, the very nature of animals will change. No longer will they pose a threat to themselves or to mankind. It's an amazing thought. You know, in all likelihood, I believe that they're going to, the, the, corner, uh, the carnivores will become herbivores. They're going to be eating the, uh, plants, not meat as they do now. You know, our Father's kingdom is going to be a great place, vastly different from what we see today, very different from what we see now. You know, we'll see changes that will probably just blow our minds, and this one will probably blow our minds, you know, when we see these animals together. You know, in the Garden of Eden, animals live together in harmony, perfect harmony, I believe. I don't think there was this contention, this conflict within nature. Well, we're going to go back to that. We're going to go back to this time when there's going to be harmony, there's going to be peace. You know, there's so many layers. There's so many great prophetic promises within the Word. And this is just one of those layers, one of those promises. And assuming we're found worthy, let me ask, what will we be doing during this time? We've already mentioned we're going to reign and rule with the Messiah. We know that. But what else will we be doing during this time? You know, I think we find an answer for that. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. 18 through 22 says, And therefore will Yahweh wait, that he may be gracious unto you. You see, Yahweh, you know, one of the things I've, I've always um, found uh, inspiring about our Father in Heaven is, is just how gracious he is. One of my favorite passages is Psalms 103. And we see there in Psalms 103 that, that as far as east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions. You see, he wants to forgive us. He wants to save us. He wants to see us succeed. And that's a, you know, just a wonderful truth we know about the one we worship. And that's not true of all false mighty ones, by the way. Many mighty ones that the pagans would worship were vindictive, were mean. But not the one we worship. The one we worship is gracious. This is full of gracious, full of pity, full of compassion, full of love. And he wants to see us succeed. Goes on to say, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For Yahweh is an Elohim of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And through, and though Yahweh give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, you shall defile also the coverings of the graven images of silver and the ornaments of the molten images of gold 
Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. You know, besides Yahweh's mercy here, besides his compassion, which we've already discussed, and we certainly again see that through the word, we also find here an amazing truth. And that truth is that I believe in the millennium, that I believe in the kingdom, that we're going to have the opportunity to do what we find here, and that is to help those who are in the millennium, who again lived through the tribulation and found themselves in the millennium, and now they're striving to do right, but they need help. And I believe that you and I may have the honor and the privilege of helping those people. It says here that their teachers will be hidden no more, that they're going to see and they're going to hear their teachers. And again, I believe that's going to be, could be us could be those in the first resurrection. Indeed, think about, consider the blessing of this promise. Having a part, a direct part, in fulfilling and bringing back and restoring righteousness to this earth. That we as spirit beings will reach out and help those who are striving to do Yahweh's way. Speaking, don't do this or do that. Again, they will see, they will hear. And I believe that may be us, assuming we're found worthy. Again, another layer to this promise of the kingdom. What a wonderful promise. You know, as I said in the beginning, no matter how hard we try, no matter how long we contemplate, no matter how many words are spoken, I don't believe we can ever fully comprehend or appreciate the promise we're talking about today. I don't believe any human being, including myself, can fully convey the awesome promise that we find through his kingdom. But we can see a glimpse, you know, as Paul speaks about looking through a glass darkly, seeing images, but not fully comprehending the promise. Or I think that's true in this case. We see images. We understand vaguely but I don't believe we fully comprehend just how great this time will be how awesome it will be again we're going to be changed at the Savior's return depicted by the way through trumpets and then we're going to have the opportunity depicted through this feast to reign and rule with him for 1,000 years you know you might say that this will be the greatest revival man has ever and will ever see there's been some great revivals throughout time in Europe, here in this nation. And who knows, maybe we may see one in this nation yet. There's been some great, great revivals. But we've seen nothing to what we will see during this time. You know, during this time, we know that Yahshua will have one purpose, one goal, and that is to restore righteousness. And, you know, we see this, this purpose, this goal, Reflected through his name. We see this in Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, it says, Behold, the days come. Now, again, this is millennium. The days come, says Yahweh, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Or who's that righteous branch? Or that righteous branch is our Savior. It says, And a king shall reign and prosper. And shall execute judgment and justice. Notice the theme, by the way, of of what we've read. How many times have we read judgment and justice in reflection of Yahshua and his role during this time? 
But he's going to execute this upon the earth. It says, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Something else we've seen already. That peace, a shalom that he will bring. And this is a name whereby he shall be called. It says he's going to be called Yahweh our righteousness. You know, the branch here again represents our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. Now, when will Judah be saved? And when will Israel dwell in safety and peace? So we know from the word that this will happen only in the millennium. This will happen only in the millennium. We know that when Yahshua returns, as we're going to see later, that he's going to gather Israel together and restore them to the land and bring peace to them, shalom to them. So this is referring to the millennium. During this time, our Savior says he's going to receive a new name. And that new name is going to be Yahweh our righteousness within the Hebrews, Yahweh Zikunu. Yahweh our righteousness. You know, his new name will reflect his new purpose. You see, his purpose will change, I believe, from salvation to righteousness. I'm not going to go into uh, this in depth. But I believe that you can see Yahshua's name reflecting his purpose all through time. All through time, from Old Testament, from his preexistence to his time now, to his time that will exist in the millennium. But we see here that he's going to receive a new name, it says, Yahweh of righteousness, again to reflect his new purpose. You know, as I've already mentioned, he will come, he is coming, to restore truth, to restore peace, to restore shalom, to restore honor, to restore truth to this earth. And again, his name will literally reflect that purpose, as we see here within the word. Now, part of that truth will include some days of worship. An example of that is Isaiah 66, 23. You know, this is a real important passage, by the way. I would encourage everybody to know book, chapter, verse. Book, chapter, verse. This is a really pivotal passage because it shows, or let me read it here. It says, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith Yahweh. Very, very pivotal passage here because it shows that in the millennium, that it says all flesh will worship Yahweh from one new moon to another one from, and from one Sabbath to another. You know what is understood by only a small minority today will be understood by the vast majority within the kingdom. You know, consider the implications here. It says that all flesh, what does all flesh mean? All flesh means that everybody, right, during this time, is going to worship Yahweh on the Sabbath. Can you imagine this happening? You know, this is small. I mean, we have a great group here. But consider all the world keeping the Sabbaths, keeping the new moons, keeping the feast days, as we're going to see here in just a moment, where this is going to happen. It's going to be just a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, the Sabbath was established by Yahweh in the beginning. And as we see in the book of Genesis, Yahweh hallowed the Sabbath. Yahweh hallowed the Sabbath. He sanctified this day. We also know from the word that the Sabbath is a sign between us and Yahweh, a very special day indeed. We also see in the New Testament that Yahshua and the apostles, including Paul, by the way. You know, I find it interesting that out of all the examples we actually see of Sabbath worship in the New Testament is Paul. And yet Paul supposedly was the one that did away with all these things. And yet Paul is the one doing these things. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but, you know, 17.2 of Acts, Acts 18.4. Both of those show that it was Paul's manner, his custom, to worship on every Sabbath. 
And yet, supposedly, for some odd reason, they believe that he did away with these items, these days. Now, we also see what happens when somebody refuses to honor these days in Zechariah. Zechariah 14, verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King Yahweh of hosts and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King Yahweh of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague. Wherewith Yahweh will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment, listen, of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we see here that in the millennium, it says here that, that every nation will come to worship Yahweh in Jerusalem during this time, year to year. You know, even though specifically this draws out Tabernacles. We know from the word that the other feast days will also be kept. We see this, see this in such passages as Ezekiel 45 and also 46. Notice what happens for those or to those who refuse to go up. Notice what happens to those who refuse to worship Yahweh during his appointed times. It says here that those who refuse, it says that they shall receive the plague of no rain. You know, I'm not going to review this today, but in Micah 4, you see this, but in the word, it indicates that we're going to go back to an agricultural society, I believe, in the kingdom. For instance, in Micah, it talks about how every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree. So we see that there's going to be an agricultural return, I believe, during this time. Or what is essential to farming? Rain. That's right, rain. Without rain, you have no crops. Without crops, you have no food. And without fruit, you have nothing to eat. You know, as we see here, obeying during the Yahweh during this time might mean literally the difference between life and death for those who are, are alive during this time. Notice what else it says here. It says that all the families of the earth, including Egypt, will come up to worship Yahweh at this time. So it's not just some, it's all. Again, I mean, this is just a very, very small, minuscule fraction of the people on this earth, those here, and even those worshiping elsewhere. The majority of the people on this earth, of the earth, they know nothing about Yahweh. But during this time, all will know Yahweh. And all nations will come and observe and keep, and those who defy his word, that they will pay a heavy price for their insolence. In the coming kingdom, all will know Yahweh, and all will have the opportunity to learn of him. And by the way, that's a, that's a prophecy also of the new covenant, of the new covenant. We see that in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It says there that you're not going to have to go and tell your neighbor about Yahweh, because all will know him, from the least to the greatest. All will know the one we worship. You know, we see, speaking about that in, in, in Zephaniah 3, verse 9, at this time, for this reason, we see that Yahweh is going to restore even a pure tongue to this earth. Zephaniah 3, verse 9, it says, For then will I turn to the people of pure language, that they may all, notice that all, not some, not the majority, 
not 50%, says all call upon the name of Yahweh to serve him with one consent. So Zephaniah prophesies here that during this time known as the millennium, that Yahweh will restore a pure language to mankind. Now what, is, now what language do you suppose this will be? I believe it's a language. And I believe that it's going to be the Hebrew language. The language that we find spoken by the angels. The language that we find in the very beginning of creation. So we find that along with restoring truth, restoring days of worship, that he's also going to restore a pure tongue to the world. Remember, it was because of man's sins that Yahweh confounded the languages. We all started out speaking the same language. But because of man's sin and ability to defy Yahweh, Yahweh says, you know, there's nothing beyond what they, you know, them if, if, if we don't do something. So he confounded the language. He confounded their language. Now in the past, many of you might have heard me say, Yahweh does nothing without reason. He does nothing without purpose. So what, was, what is the purpose of restoring a pure language to this earth? What is a pure, uh, the, the purpose for this? Well, the purpose is simply this. It is so that all of mankind, as it says here, can call upon Yahweh's name with one consent. You see, there's going to be no barriers during this time. There's going to be no, no walls. Yahweh's going to tear down those walls. And one way he will do this is that he will restore a pure language. So it says all will call upon his name and all will do so with one consent. Again, as we saw in Isaiah 66, 23, they're going to all flush will worship during the new moons, during the Sabbaths. Not some, not most, all. And it says here that all will worship Yahweh when he restores a pure language to this earth. So that's why he's doing this. That's why he's doing this. You know, in some ways... This is a reversal of what we see with the Tower of Babel. Again, there, because of man's wickedness, Yahweh said, I'm going to confound their languages. Or now, because he's seeking to restore peace and righteousness, he's going to say, I am going to bring back and I'm going to have one language so that we're all on the same page and that we're all praising and seeking to please Yahweh. Everything about the millennium is a time of restoration, a time to restore what was lost, a time to really bring things back to the way it was in the, in the Garden of Eden. You know, Yahweh wanted it that way. He wanted it that way. He wanted things to, 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 to be good. But man chose other, the, the, the other way, and there was ramifications for that choice. Well, I'm going to close now with one of my favorite prophetic promises, and, and it's certainly a very pivotal promise. It's in Ezekiel 37, and I don't have all this on the slide, so you can either listen or, or turn there with me, but I'm going to read Ezekiel 37. This is a very, just an extremely important passage. You know, we find so many wonderful truths within this, within this passage here. So we're going to read verses 15 through 24. 15 through 24. It says there, The word of Yahweh came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions, 
Then take another stick and write it upon for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel, his companions. So he has two sticks, one for Judah, one for Israel. And join them to another into one stick, so bring them together, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, What will uh, what thou not show us what thou meanest by these, saying to them, Thus saith my sovereign Yahweh, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereupon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. You know, that's the way Ezekiel, by the way, he's a very literal prophet. You know, he would do literal things for, for symbolic reasons, and same thing here. So he's, Yahweh's telling him to actually take sticks, just as we read, and, and to hold them up so that Israel would understand the message behind them. Verse 21, And saying to them, Thus saith my sovereign Yahweh, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether thou be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, whereupon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with their transgressions. But I will save them out of their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And by the way, this, this act of cleansing, I believe, may depict Yom Kippur. Again, Yahweh showing that forgiveness once more when he brings back Israel again. During the land, he's going to cleanse them. He's going to forgive their sins, as we find through the word. Cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be their Elohim. And David, my servant. So notice, David. I believe this is King David. There's questions about this, but I believe this is King David. This is referring to my servant shall be king. He's going to rule over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. So we see here a great promise. You never since he split between Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and Jeroboam. Israel's been two nations, or many nations really now, I believe. Many, many nations. Where this is going to change in the millennium. Yahweh, through his son, is going to remedy this problem. It says here that he's going to bring back the stick of Ephraim with a stick of Judah, the stick of Israel with a stick of Judah. He's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them to their land, and he's going to show them mercy. He's going to show them compassion. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to forgive their sins. We even see that King David will rule over them. You know, besides the coming of Yahshua, I believe that this may be the greatest prophetic messianic promise we find within the word, the gathering of the Israelites back to their land. It will happen. And, you know, I believe that the Israelites today are scattered all throughout the world. We, we obviously know Judah. I'm a very big supporter of Israel, by the way, very big supporter of the Jews. I know they do some bad things. Yahweh loves the Jews, and so should we. And Yahweh's going to forgive them for those things they do wrong. 
But he's going to restore all of Israel, not just the Jews, but all of Israel, all the, the Israelites scattered throughout this world. He's going to bring them back. He's going to, again, restore them to their land. He's going to forgive their sins. And this will happen in the millennium. This is one of the greatest prophetic promises we find. The restoration of Israel in the millennium is going to bring them back and restore all of them to their own land. You know, everything about this time points to the restoring of what was lost and making everything right according to Yahweh's word. This time, again, is depicted through this feast. And that's why this feast is so important. That's why we should come to worship Yahweh. Not because of, not, not only because Yahweh commands it, but because of what it represents, what it symbolizes. You know, the other thing, too, is if we want this kingdom, we must, again, do those things Yahweh wants us to do. And keeping this feast is one of those items we find. This feast foreshadows this 1,000-year reign of Yahshua the Messiah when you and I, hopefully, prayerfully, if we're found worthy, will reign and rule with him. You know, I would encourage everyone here to remember, and those online, by the way, that's something else we're doing this year. We're broadcasting. You know, we know that because of the pandemic, not everybody can be here. So we want to make this available to those also online. So I include those online. Now, we're to remember what this time represents, why it represents, and why we're doing what we're doing. You know, as we know, this time represents a kingdom. We're also here to worship Yahweh, to experience the blessings of his word, to experience the blessings of the people here. And I would, just one more time, Mecca, we've already heard it a few times. I've said it a few times. I think Brother Javon said it once today. But we, we get out what we put in. So I would really encourage everybody to take every opportunity during this feast to put a lot in. Because believe me, it goes very fast. You know, we have a lot of veterans in this room, and you know that. You know, just by years and years of feast keeping, that we're here today and we're going to be gone tomorrow, almost literally. So, so I would encourage everybody here to, to really fully embrace this feast, to just to, uh, to uh, look for opportunities, to fellowship. Don't, don't sit alone. Look for people you don't know. Introduce yourself. And uh, just do everything you can to make this time a great, great feast. It's a very important time. And uh, don't hold back. We have a lot going on this, this week. It's a very active feast. And uh, I think it's going to be a great time. So just, again, welcome everybody here. It's a blessing to have you here. Blessing to see what Yahweh's doing with this ministry. And uh, wish everybody blessings during this week. May Yahweh bless.